This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. So a lot of donors, whether they're individuals or companies, they really like that idea because they're saying, okay, well now my dollar or my hundred dollars is turning into a thousand or three thousand dollars worth of product. Hi, and welcome to EM Weekly. And this is your host, Todd DeVoe speaking. We have all heard of the concept that donations is the second disaster for emergency managers. Well, today I have with me Tiffany Everett from Good360, a nonprofit that focuses on donation management and distribution of those goods. The partnership that Good360 brings to the table is amazing. And I was so stoked to be able to talk to Tiffany about the great work that Good360 is doing. Hey, if you want to join our private chats in the closed Facebook group, just click to join and answer a couple of questions and you too can join the community of emergency managers talking about today's topics. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and of course on emweekly.com. So come and join the conversation and we want to hear from you and what you have to say. Now let's talk to Tiffany. Hey, so I got Tiffany Everett here with me today and we're going to be talking about the uh, the Good360. So Tiffany, welcome to EM Weekly. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So Tiffany, tell me a little bit about Good360 and what exactly you guys do. Yeah, so Good360 is a nonprofit. Um, We've been around for about 35 years now. Um, And what we do is we help move products that are donated by companies to nonprofits. And so helping nonprofits leverage their very few dollars we know um, with just in-kind giving. So about... Four years ago or so, Good360 started to get into the disaster space a little bit, um, and that's where I come in. So I oversee our disaster recovery program, where what we try to do is get the right product for the right people at the right time. So oftentimes, well-intended companies come through, and they want to give after a disaster, but oftentimes their giving doesn't match what's actually needed on the ground. And maybe the media is influencing that or just their heart is influencing it. So what we try to do is give them a platform and an ability to give better by working directly with nonprofits and pulling their needs from the disaster field out, getting those needs to our corporate partners and making sure that those needs are fulfilled in a timely manner. Um, we do that a couple of ways. So some of our companies are essentially on standby. And so when we have a major event like a Hurricane Harvey or Maria or like the Thomas fire from last year, um, we can lean on to them to deliver products very quickly. The other way we do that is by warehousing products that we know are kind of no regret items, things that are really obviously needed in sheltering situations or in cleanup situations, we pre-stage those so then we can distribute those very quickly post-disaster. So Tiffany, can you tell me some of the companies that you're working with? Absolutely. So we work with a very large variety of companies, but um, about 400 
Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 companies work with us. Um, we work from actually very small companies even to, um, you know, the Walmart of the world. So, for example, we have Bed Bath & Beyond and Walmart and Amazon, CVS, Home Depot, Crate & Barrel, Restoration Hardware. Um, there's kind of just a full gamut. And we do try to make sure there's a pretty diverse group of companies that we're working with only because we know that across the niche that whether it's in disaster or not, um, as you flow from response to the cleanup stage to kind of that, what I consider like early recovery to long-term recovery, those needs are changing and there's not one company. Maybe there's one company that covers all those, but most companies do not cover every stage. So we try to have multiple companies in our back pocket so that we can reach out um, during the various stages and get products that people need. So what's the process like to get you all rolled up into, say, after a disaster occurs, if, say, a county wanted to get a hold of you? How, what's that process like? Yeah, that's a really good question. So we only work with nonprofits as far as distributing goods. So it can't be to a government entity. It would be just to nonprofit partners that we would actually donate the product to. Um, there's some strict guidelines through the IRS that we have to follow when companies take a tax deduction that it has to go to a nonprofit. So that's one piece. Um, but we do work hand in hand with local governments. And so, um, for example, in Hurricane Harvey, there's a few emergency managers across the state that were our main source of information of what current needs were. Um, this was also really important in Puerto Rico because there was a mass issue with communication. And so we have to work hand in hand with anybody who is either at an EOC, a BEOC, at the JFO that's created eventually, if it's a federal declaration, and trying to work with any partner that has their eyes on the situation. So emergency managers and local government are really important, just speaking towards the needs of their community. Additionally, uh, we do also work with the VOAD partners. Um, those are our nonprofit partners that receive the majority of our products. We don't just work with VOAD members. We also work with any nonprofit. But typically in like that front end of disaster, we find it best to work solely through the VOAD partners um, at the beginning because they're a little bit well more well-versed in disaster response. So we know if we're sending adult diapers, they're going to know how to distribute them if they requested them versus maybe a smaller church or someone who is impacted and they're just doing it because they love their community. They want to help out. They may not know how to ascertain the needs of the community. They may just be making a, you know, kind of random guess at what the needs are. So we work with in hand in hand with the local government, but the donation actually ends up with a nonprofit. So in emergency management, we always say, or I shouldn't say always. So we'll say that the donations management or donations are what we call the second disaster. Is something, could we work hand in hand with you guys and having you be the donations management wing of what we do? Yes, absolutely. So that is oftentimes kind of how we play. So um, it's very interesting. So in-kind donations can absolutely be the second disaster. We see this time and time again. And it's because the giving is not matching up with what is needed on the ground. And the needs are not being clearly communicated through maybe a single channel or a clear channel um, to get to the public to say what are what is needed. So we have all these really well-intended people 
people sending things, going through their closet, throwing their old clothes together and just sending them to some random nonprofit because they give to a local United Way in their city, they're just going to send it to some random United Way in whatever city was impacted. And this is really what causes that second disaster is what we call unsolicited goods. So there's a way that good can be good, though. And so that's what we're trying to do. So we're really trying to change the way that people give post-disaster so that we don't end up with that second disaster. But let's kind of go back. So a really, I mean, an unfortunate but terrible disaster was um, Hurricane Katrina. And a ton of well-intended, it was the largest disaster country I've seen in many, many years, if ever. Um, Largest hurricane we had ever seen impact on. And thousands of companies and individuals wanted to help out. And that makes perfect sense. Um, but what happened was we had a couple of companies who donated mattresses about a week after the disaster. And if you know anything about a disaster, a week after the de- disaster, especially a large one, nobody is back home. They're not in temporary housing. They're either in the shelter or they fled the community. But the waters aren't even typically receded within a week. And so when these mattresses ended up in a warehouse, that warehouse got flooded and all of those mattresses were destroyed and ended up in the landfill. We see this again in Hurricane Harvey where thousands of Halloween costumes were donated by a very large donor ended up in a warehouse and an organization called Adventist Community Services has been trucking unsolicited goods from Houston to San Antonio to sort them to then distribute them to a nonprofit that can potentially use them or trash them if they're not needed. And so we're talking over a year now since Hurricane Harvey and they're still sorting through unsolicited goods. And again, very well-intended donors But these donors come from all shapes and sizes. These are mega companies to small churches to families with, you know, hearts for Texas. Like, it it doesn't really matter. So what Good 350 has tried to do is what we've set out on is this mandate around thoughtful giving. So how can we transform the behavior that's causing these unsolicited goods to end up in a disaster? And we really feel like it's around a lack of education. So we've started um, a campaign. It actually will launch at the end of the month, but we started a council with some various really large companies to help us set mandates around how do we educate first companies and then try to get those education components to their associates. And then hopefully then it will filter down into their customer base. And if we think about our companies that are part of the council, which are United Airlines, Walmart, CVS, Restoration Hardware, Hasbro, you just kind of put those names out there and you think about all the associates and all the customers that are associated with that company, you've probably touched almost every American. And so we that's why we've approached it this way is can we first change the behavior of companies and then have them message it down through the various strata that they have access to and stakeholders to actually change that behavior. But you're right. Second disasters, the implicit goods problem is a nightmare for so many organizations, but there is a place for in-kind donations. And this is my last point on this is when you have, um, for example, in Texas, in Texas, they have billions of dollars of gap of need for individual assistance. So when you're looking at a figure like billions, um, unless some donor, a billionaire, comes out of the woodworks and decides to donate that gap of individual assistance, we have to use in-kind donations to fill that gap. Because, for example, if you donate, if you're a company like Tempur-Pedic, who's a great donor of ours, 
may donate a truckload of mattresses. That one truckload that's now being donated actually represents $120,000 or $130,000 worth of mattresses. So now, rather than donating $100, we can donate, you know, about $4,000. $4,000 can cover transportation of a truckload of mattresses from anywhere in the country. So that $4,000 just turned into $120,000, $140,000 worth of mattresses. And through that amplified giving impact, we can fill the gap. But like, if you can imagine, you know, me saying this at the same time, it's very tight as far as we don't want to give too much length in that string for our companies to go too far and then start thinking what they think is needed and then just start sending stuff because then we're back in the same spot as we were. But really having nonprofits inform, local governments inform the giving practices and then using in-kind giving in really strategic and thoughtful ways to help meet those gaps. That's really awesome. So... As a nonprofit, and I'm just going to pick one. So say like uh, HUD, I keep wanting to say HUD, Habitat for Humanity, something like that, where they went down in the, into Houston and they built or they rebuilt homes. Would they reach out to you and say, hey, we have a homeowner who lost everything in the flood and they need all their furniture. Do they reach out to you and say this or how does that work? How does how do you guys interact with each nonprofit that's looking to um, service disaster victims? Yeah, so it's, it's pretty much just like that. Um, so we have a couple of different ways that nonprofits can engage. So first, usually post-disaster, we're on all the BOAC calls um, from the state, national, and local co-ed calls. So nonprofits, most of them typically know who we are. Um, Habitat for Humanity, United Way, Red Cross, All Hands and Hearts, Team Rubicon, at the national level know who we are and how to use us as a resource. That doesn't always mean that their local affiliate knows that. And so being on this call is really important. You just have to be a nonprofit in good standing with the IRS. Um, We do vet our nonprofits through Charity Navigator and GuideStar just to make sure that they're in good standing. And then as long as that's the case, it's, it's literally a five minute, maybe at the most process to register with Good360. We have about 70,000 nonprofits in our network already. And so that's actually very helpful because immediately following a disaster, um, for example, in Northern California, my colleague had pulled out all the nonprofits in the geographic region that was impacted by the car fire and the Mendocino complex fires. And we had probably close to a thousand nonprofits that were already registered with us. And so that makes our job really easy because then we can just reach out and say, you know, Good360 is engaging in this disaster. Please let us know what your needs are. We're also pulling those needs on the BOAD calls, like I said, in local government. And so a nonprofit just has to let us know what are the needs of the community? How are they engaging in the disaster? And then we try to match products with them. So it was pretty simple with the Northern California fires. Um, there were some issues around warehousing this year a little bit. But once a warehouse was identified early on, pretty early on, um, Bethel Church had taken that role for a few months. And then now NCO is kind of stepping in to fill that gap. Um, but once a warehouse was identified, there was a huge gap in cleanup supplies and PPE and um, even just uh, some basic personal care. And so we were able to fill a truckload and get it on the road right away as soon as a nonprofit told us what the needs were. We find that in most federal declarations, um, you know, for better or for worse, I do like the MARC system. Um, not all states use it, but the multi-agency resource center is something that some states kind of cling towards where once a disaster is federally declared, um, an organization comes in, will set up a MARC. And then that MARC is basically where 
donations that have been solicited. So even Good 360 donations that multiple organizations have a need for. So let's say ACS and Red Cross and Habitat for Humanity and Salvation Army are all asking for adult diapers and shampoo and conditioner. Well, then we can send a massive load rather than sending like four separate loads to that one mark and then have nonprofits pick up from there. Um, it's also a place where individuals go and they can register for FEMA, um, see what their insurance status is and kind of just get information after the disaster. And so um, they can also just pick up products from there. So they can say, I have a need for my family. We need shampoo and conditioner as we're living in a hotel right now. And then they can, you know, easily get that from the Mark Center. So uh, pretty easy for nonprofits to work with us. They just have to know we exist. We spent a lot of many years, honestly, in kind of the behind the scenes and disasters. And so what we've been trying to do more recently is making sure that people know that we are here to help them, making sure that their national level knows us as well as as many affiliates on the ground as possible. And then being as present as possible as we can, even though we are a national nonprofit with the local VOADs and community partners engaging post-disaster. For everybody out there, just let you know that Tiffany's not just a spokesperson for them. Uh, she she actually gets boots on the ground. We were supposed to have this interview a couple weeks ago, but because she was responding to the fire, she couldn't make it. So, Tiffany, tell me what it's like for your job. Like, what do you do during the disaster? The rest of that story when we return from our break. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we're always inventing new technology to help people stay safe and help people who can provide help get connected with people who need help. At Titan HST, we've deployed mesh networking, allowing emergency communication, even when networks are down, augmented reality, and real-time translation. We believe in the power of people to help each other stay safe and thrive. Emergency managers need exercise in order to test preparedness and efficiency during an emergency situation. TTX Vault provides pre-assembled, pre-filled out tabletops, drills, and functionals so you can exercise more effectively and at a reduced cost. With TTX Vault, customers receive either a disk or flash drive pre-uploaded with the exercise of their choice. Print out the documents, review, fill in the information, and you are ready to execute the exercise. Your first step to preparedness is going to ttxvault.com. Welcome back from that quick break, and thank you so much for listening to the sponsors, because without them, we couldn't do what we're doing here at Ian Weekly, and hit them up, check them out, say hi, tell them that uh, we sent you. Now for the rest of the story. Tiffany, tell me what it's like for your job. Like, what do you do during the disaster? Yeah, goodness. Well, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> but as, as with anybody who responds to a disaster, it does get a little bit nuts at some point. So it just depends. So uh, with the car, with the car fire and the um, Shasta and then um, the Mendocino complex, those fires just, I mean, now they're the largest complex fire in the state's history. Things really got out of control. And it happened last year with the Thomas fire too, in that you know, they were setting up shelters and then the fire would turn and they would have to close that shelter and quickly open another shelter. And if you can imagine, the sheltering system was definitely like pressed. 
And so there's a lack of resources. So being able to respond really quickly, um, what we do is we are make sure that I'm on this call as soon as they start, let people know that I uh, were working there, trying to get the needs, working with um, whatever liaison is put in charge of in-kind donations, making sure there's a secure warehouse facility to send it there. And then we start shipping. Uh, thus far, we sent just under $2 million worth of supplies up to Northern California for the 2018 fires. And then I'll actually be up in Northern California for their BOAD meeting next week. And really what what it looks like is me doing a lot of logistics and supply chain management. So we have diapers, but we don't have N95 masks. Let's say that's the case. So I'm trying to send the diapers and get N95 masks from a partner like Ranger or Home Depot or someone like that. So it's balancing corporate relationships with nonprofit relationships, making sure our messaging is out there. We do fundraise around disaster as well because um, we do not want to have any charges placed on any nonprofit or we also have to pay for transportation and logistics and that sort of thing if it's not all donated. So we are fundraising as well. So that means we're setting up fundraising pages just like everyone else and communicating the needs of the field to non to donors so that we make sure that they get engaged. I mean it's kind of crazy because actually just today I saw news that um the fire had restarted up in Reading area and you know, they're not going to get any media coverage. They won't get anything because of what's going on politically this week. And that's what's really tough is that you have these massive disasters and the public can go on never knowing they happen. I mean, I talk to people all the time and they have no idea about the 2016 Louisiana floods where it damaged and destroyed 159,000 homes. It was one of the largest disasters our country has ever faced, but it came during the 2016 election and the 2016 Olympic Games it was in August. And so they caught no media attention, even though it was just devastating. So, you know, we run into that um, where media can really help us as nonprofits, but then on the backside, it can hurt us just as much because uh, we just don't get the attention that we, that nonprofits need so that they can actually recover. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the Delta fire that's burning right now up in Shasta is uh, almost uh, 16,000 acres, you know, and uh, just, yeah. you, know, you know, it's amazing how fast those things move. And, and you're right. And it, <laughs> I always talk and, and, you know, talk about the news and how things are sexy for a little while. And then, you know, it goes away and you forget about them. I mean, we always, you know, talk about how Katrina, we haven't even fully recovered for Katrina. There's still parts of the Ninth Ward that are just uh, ghost town, you know, so. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Okay, so going forward, you know, with 360, one of my questions I have here is that I know people get a little turned off, like when the Red Cross or other organizations will ask for dollar donations uh, during um, disasters because they feel that they're capitalizing um, on on the disaster. And I know the Red Cross took a lot of heat for that for a while. And now you can say, I want this money to go to this. Does a good 360 have that same policy where if I donate money, I can say, I want this money to go to the Reading fire or, or whatever. How does that work with you guys? Yeah, that's actually 99% of how our donations work. So when you donate to Good360, um, you have to essentially select something to donate to. So whether it's the Northern California fires, it could be Hurricane Lane in Hawaii, it could be Hurricane Harvey still recovery efforts, it could be Irma, Maria, there's a slew of them to go to. Um, there's also a general disaster bucket because we also work in smaller non-federally declared disasters. So we have nonprofits across the plane, for example. 
that get just hammered by tornadoes and small floods all throughout February through June. And again, they're getting no attention, but they're still, even though they're not damaging thousands of homes, there's a ton of impact there. And so no nonprofit is sitting there in the wings making this huge, well, maybe there's a couple like you mentioned, but there's not many smaller nonprofits out there like these local community-based nonprofits that are sitting there just raising this money for a disaster fund. God forbid something happens, right? They're doing their daily programs. They're serving their neighbors, and that's amazing. So when a disaster hits, even if it does only impact 100 homes or something really small, it's still money that they don't have to get things that they need. And so we do work in smaller disasters. So we don't necessarily post them on our pages, donate to this, donate to this tornado, this flood, this small apartment fire. And so what you can do is donate to general disaster work and it does get designated for disaster and can never go outside of that. But if you do donate to Hurricane Harvey or the Northern California fires from 2017 or the ones from 2018, it absolutely is restricted to those disasters. And then what we do is, so Good 360 is interesting in the fact that We don't need as much, I hate saying this publicly, but we don't necessarily need as much money as somebody who is providing direct service as far as like um, covering apartment uh, down payments and covering rental assistance. And those things that aren't leveraged at all, they mean massive amounts of money because they're putting in thousands and thousands of dollars into each individual where what we do is we need money to cover shipping and handling and our small overhead. And so, like I said, with a Tempur-Pedic mattress load, that's $120,000 worth of product that a typical nonprofit would essentially have to pay for if it wasn't presented to them as a donation. So our need for cash is a, is smaller, but it's really important. But I want to share that because that's what amplified leverage giving looks like. And so in Good360, we guarantee that for every dollar donated to us, we can supply at least $10, at least $10 worth of goods to a nonprofit in need. However, in disaster, we far exceed that, um, sometimes in the 20, 30 range of providing products to the dollar. And so a lot of donors, whether they're individuals or companies, they really like that idea because they're saying, okay, well, now my dollar or my $100 is turning into a 1000 or $3,000 worth of product. So they're going to be able to fill more needs with that. But if everybody donated to Good360, we'd be in trouble, right? We need players across the board to be supported. We need we need the Red Crosses. We need the Salvation Armies. We need the Good360 because each of these organizations, there might be some overlap, but they're all playing a really important role in the ecosystem. So if somebody wanted to join you guys or help you guys out, how would they do that? Yeah, great question. So a couple of different kind of, we consider like three buckets of stakeholders. So... For companies, um, number one, they can change their giving practices to make sure they're thoughtfully giving so they can definitely reach out to myself or my colleagues to talk about how can they change their giving practices post-disaster to help the community more than hurt them. Um, they can donate product in blue skies and we kind of say this like blue skies, gray sky kind of language in disaster recovery. But if we can get things we know we need throughout the recovery cycle before the disaster happens and Good360 can stage those, then we can respond more quickly. Um, in Hawaii just this past week, we had an issue where we had all the respirators and all the hard hats 
but we didn't have the shockwave, which is a really important chemical to do mold remediation with. And so it took a few days to get that mold remediation chemical because we had to reach out to the donor and get the product and then it had to ship to our warehouse to be consolidated and taken over to Hawaii. And so getting those products beforehand is really important. So that's one way. Um, with our individuals, that's a little bit different because we're not donating to individuals. We're donating to nonprofits. But individuals who find that our organization is something they like the idea of amplified giving. They like the idea that we're donating products and being strategic in our giving practices. We ask them to donate cash to us so that we can continue doing the work that we do and never charge admin fees or anything like that to our nonprofits responding um, early on in disaster. And then nonprofits can certainly register with us. Make sure you um, have sent me an email <laughs> so that I, you know, we know that you are a nonprofit responding to a particular event and getting in our network. Because like I said, we do disaster, um, but that's about 10 to 20% of our organizational work. We mostly do not disaster. So we're working in homeless, uh, you know, homeless outreaches. We're working with veterans. We're working in after-school programs. All across the country, we have thousands of nonprofits that are receiving donations from us, and they're doing what they do. So it's important for nonprofits to register soon. And then, God forbid, something does happen like a disaster. You're already in our network, so you know that you can reach out during a disaster for donations. So if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, how would they find you guys? That's right. So if you go to good360.org, um, that is our main website and we have a disaster page. And then we do have a page for each kind of those stakeholders that I just mentioned. Um, and then if they, if you are a nonprofit or company interested in giving um, or just interested in our overall work, uh, they can email me. My name's Tiffany Everett. So Tiffany, T-I-F-F-A-N-Y at good360.org would be the best way to do that. And for everybody who's driving down the road right now and you don't have a pencil in your hand, uh, we'll have that stuff in the show notes as well. So you just go to, to the website or to uh, to whatever you're listening to. There should be in the show notes in the bottom. So you know, www.ianweekly.com and you can click on to uh, the show notes down there. So Tiffany, here comes the hardest question of the day. What <laughs> book or books do you recommend to somebody who is interested in leadership or disaster management or maybe even just uh, disaster recovery? My goodness, that might be the hardest question of the day. You know, this isn't necessarily for disaster, but it does play into kind of our thoughtful giving kind of side of things. Um, it does have, I'll have to say this, it does have a religious kind of like pretense to it. But there's two books that when I was working in refugee resettlement years ago, these two books really changed the way I thought about donating my time, my cash and my and my products or treasure or whatever. And there, there, one is called When Helping Hurts. So again, like we are well-intended. Most Americans, when they see people in need, they want to help them. And that makes perfect sense. But when you spontaneously volunteer to a disaster, when you send your old clothing to a disaster, you are hurting more than you're helping a community. So I would say When Helping Hurts is a very good book to read um, because it's not so obvious in, you know, controlling our heart strings versus our, you know, reality and efficiency strings. Balancing that is really tough. Um, and then the other book that I really love is called Charity, Toxic Charity. And it's kind of the same pretense as far as understanding how to give yourself um, as a donor in different capacities best 
to to the world. Um, and I really like those. And they're not disaster focused, but they are really where Good 360 wants to be. And, and that's that behavior change of how do we still allow people to engage in disaster and feel really connected, but not hurting the people that are trying to do what's needed. And I always try to tell people, like, imagine if you just lost everything and the house fire and a flood and the Red Cross representative who is standing there next to you says, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, I have to go sort through this pile of clothing and I can't help to help you. Like imagine if that happened. And there are so many organizations that have just countless of volunteers that are not out in the field helping people. They're back at a warehouse literally sorting through junk that might just end up in the landfill. And that's really the shame because that's a lack of efficiency. And nonprofits get in trouble all the time for lack of efficiency and not running like a business and not thinking about their models. And honestly, in a disaster space, it's not really their fault. It's the public's fault or it's the company's fault that are forcing them in these holes to like sort through clothing for years after a disaster. And my example earlier about Harvey, imagine... Um, the organizations that had a truck, all of that used clothing and dirty clothing and shoes, and it was just disgusting from Houston to San Antonio to then sort to then throw in the landfill or find a local organization. I mean, that's real money. That's a lot of money spent in warehousing and probably some staff costs and trucking. I mean, those are hard costs. And so when people get frustrated about maybe their dollars not going where they think they're going, there may be a way that you can help that. And it's by giving thoughtfully during disaster and really trying to not hurt a community because your heart is telling you to do something, you know, emotional or erratic. (laughs) Right. That's a, that is some really, you know, wise information that you just gave out there. You know, that's one of the, one of the sections I teach when I teach disaster recovery, we talk about donations as being the second disaster. Obviously we talked about that a little bit earlier and you're right. If we can get people to, that really want to help. And I understand that part of it, you know, and, and giving thoughtfully, uh, we can really reduce a lot of that second disaster as being something that's more helpful. That's uh, that's pretty wise there, Tiffany. Thank you. Is there anything that you'd like to say to the emergency manager before we let you go? Um, yeah. So one of the things is that some emergency managers have no idea that we exist. And so definitely if you're in that space and want to learn more um, or have, you know, like I'm always willing to jump on a call or um, even if you're across the country to explain how we operate. I always try to tell people we don't have everything, right? We're not Walmart. We don't have absolutely every product. But if we can leverage in-kind donations to fill a need that doesn't have to be purchased, and it allows nonprofits to do more in their community. That's really our goal. So if you have any questions, I would say, number one, please reach out. Um, know that we're a resource. Know that, you know, your VOAD network is going to be the folks that are there long term. I mean, Red Cross and some of these bigger organizations, uh, they do more of the short response recovery work. And maybe they provide money in long term recovery. But it's those community-based groups that are on the ground that are going to be in their communities for 10, 15 years later. And so those are the groups that we have to make sure they're equipped to do long-term recovery responsibly. And, you know, the most disaster-prone state in the U.S. is Texas. And you would think that every nonprofit there is equipped and ready to respond to hurricanes and long-term recovery situations. And they're just not. We run into it all the time where we have to really teach these nonprofits how to appropriately 
to case management and um, making sure that they are not getting uh, tricked by homeowners and going through all the processes of getting them um, in the system and then serving them. And that really can be done before the storm happens. So I would say, however, the VOIC can support emergency managers in getting those education components out and how I can support you guys in knowing that we are a resource and how to quickly disseminate that information. I'd love to do that. Well, Tiffany, thank you so much for your time today and, and for coming here on Ian Weekly and, and talking about the great work that you guys are doing over at uh, Good360 and love to have you on sometime again. Great. Thank you so much, Todd.